tonight is going to begin something that uh, I am assuming I can't be for certain that could take us all the way to April, um, but I believe it's important. I have told a few people that my intentions uh, 2024 is to make us a more, not saying that we as a whole aren't, but I want us to be a more biblical, literate church. I want us to understand the word and know the word a little better. And so that's going to cause all of us to dive in. And so I want to just do a blanket statement right now. Make sure you bring your Bibles on Wednesday evenings. Amen. The, the times that we are together on first Wednesdays. And we normally preach an evangelistic type uh, message tonight, but I'm not going to do that. It's going to be more of a study uh, this evening. Uh, and it'll probably be like that until after April, but unless the Lord says otherwise. But I, um, I want us to dive into the Word. Amen. I want us to be men and ladies of the Word. Praise God. If we're going to serve the Word, then we better be students of the Word. And so I'm going to endeavor to uh, walk us through something over the next uh, few months and on Wednesday nights, and there will be a few that um, I will not be preaching. Um, somebody else will be preaching, different service, different message, uh, different study, but I'm going to help us dive into First Peter. We're going to go into First Peter. I want you to look at your neighbor as Brother Gary puts my title of this series up, and I want you to tell him you're a chosen generation. A chosen generation. Chosen generation is what we are going to look at uh, starting this evening. And I hope, I understand that everybody's busy and everybody's got jobs and people have work schedules and you have to go and do, and I get that. But I want to ask you again, another blanket statement here. I want to ask you to try to keep up, try to, uh, if you have to go online and watch or go to our app and listen, do so, do so. I'm going to have Brother Gary put them on our app so they'll be easy, accessible for everybody. Uh, so you can listen to those uh, when you get a chance. And there will be times that I'll, I'm going to try to have a handout if need be because if you're like me, that helps you just stay a little more focused. And so I'm going to, I'm going to do that for us sometime during this series. But we're going to go uh, into First Peter tonight. We're going to talk about First Peter. Don't stand because I'm not going to be reading uh, from the Bible as just yet. But you can just follow along. Uh, in First Peter, where we're going to be going here in a moment. But I'm going to just set a little bit of uh, groundwork before we get into that. Amen. Look at your neighbors. We're going to have a Bible study. <laughs> Praise God. This letter that was written was written during a time of persecution. And it is believed that Peter wrote this before the great fire of 64 A.D. I encourage you to look into that, study that. This was a fire that was believed to have been started by Nero, and then it was blamed or pinned upon the Christians. They did it, their fault. They were the ones that started it. They were enemies of Nero because they refused they refuse to do something that I hope that we'll refuse Amen. continually over and over and over again. 
They refuse to worship anything but Christ Jesus. Amen. You see, ladies and gentlemen, it has been throughout the stages of time that there has been things vying for you and me to worship something different. But we have got to stand having done all to stand. Just like the Christians that we read about here in this letter. Christians suffered greatly under Nero. He did some pretty terrible things. He encased some in wax and he burned them to light his garden. He would crucify them. And he would throw them to the wild beasts and let them tear them to shreds. It would be in this wave of persecution that both Paul and Peter would lose their life. Peter serves as a watchman on the wall as to what is about to come with even greater intensity of persecution that was coming to the church. The theme may be true or not true, may be easy for some to grab a hold of, but for some it's not. But the theme of this letter is suffering. All throughout the letter, there's an undertone of suffering. And more importantly, the purpose of suffering and how we respond as people of God to suffering. This wasn't something that the church ran away from, nor was it something that was foreign to the church. We've read this before, and I hope that you'll Read it with me. They may put it on the screen for me in a moment, but 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. It may not be with wax being wrapped around you and you lighting up someone's beautiful garden somewhere, but it may be you're looked down upon. It may be that somebody thinks you're a little weird. It may be that you get talked about at the job. Why are you different? Why do you act like this? Why do you worship like you do? Why do you look like you do? Amen. You will be persecuted if you're going to live a life in Christ. Can I just stop for a moment? I didn't want to do this, but here I go. It's not going to be easy. The Bible says if you think that it's supposed to be hunky-dory and everybody's supposed to smile and tiptoe through the tulips and I'm a Christian and that's all you're supposed to say, that's not how it's going to be. To be a Christian, to be set apart, to be different, you're going to be talked about. You're going to be looked down upon. Everybody's going to think you're weird. Praise God. That's Nero the king... If you didn't do what he wanted you to do, if you didn't do what he desired you to do to worship the gods that he wanted you to worship and to live how he wanted you to live, if you didn't bow to what he wanted you to bow to, he wrapped you up in some wax and he lit his garden. That's pretty intense. So why do we boo-hoo? When we are a chosen generation, when we are set apart, look at your neighbor and say, you're a chosen generation. 
I've got 31 minutes. I better stay focused. <laughs> really what Peter was doing, he was encouraging. He was encouraging the Christians. He was saying this, stand firm in the midst of suffering. When you are talked about, when you look different, when everybody thinks you're a little crazy, stand firm in the midst of suffering. When you go through life, when pain comes and hurt comes, when cancer comes, when all of the stuff comes your way, when you lose your job, when all the problems come, when you lose family members and hurt, stand firm in the midst of suffering. I know in whom I serve. I know the issues that I'm going through. They hurt. They're painful. But I know Jesus. He will never put on me more than that which I am able to bear. Stand firm in the midst of suffering. He was saying, realize when suffering is allowed, when you have suffering being allowed in your life, let it build faith. Stand having done all to stand. What Peter was trying to tell these people was, listen, you got to keep to it. Keep the nose to the grindstone, if you will. Never lose sight, no matter what's going on, to the ultimate prize. Sister Christina, the ultimate prize is heaven. Oh, I stumped my toe. Oh, there's turmoil in my family oh my goodness there's this death that death there's my buddy's backslid my son's backslid my family's backslid I've had to uproot here and go here and I've lost this and I've lost that and all hell has broken loose in my life I'm still going to heaven I'm not going to allow myself to look at anything else I'm looking at heaven and that's what that's what he was trying to get across he was trying to tell us Never lose sight of the destination in which you are going. It was written by Peter. This may seem obvious to some, but there's some debate over it due to the fact that at the end of the letter, it is signed, Silvanius. The way in which it was written shows an educated author, and Peter was considered very unlearned. However, many of the early church leaders, as well as the title of the letter, gives credit to Peter. But I want us to look just for a moment and be reminded the character, the author, the character of the author. Peter was the one that Jesus rebuked more than any other disciple. Peter was the only disciple that dared to rebuke Jesus. Peter was the only, the, the only disciple to receive revelation and confess who Jesus was. Peter denied Jesus more forcefully and publicly than any other disciple. Jesus praised Peter more than any other disciple. Jesus addressed Peter as Satan along, alone among the disciples. Peter was a part of the inner circle. Peter, James, and John. He was present at the Mount of Transfiguration. He was invited into the room where the girl was raised to life. He was invited deeper into the garden to pray. Peter was given the keys to the kingdom to unlock the door 
on the day of Pentecost. He was a leader in the early church. Although Peter ministered to the Gentiles, he was commissioned as the apostle to the Jews. And Paul, he referenced this in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 7, said this, but on the contrary, when they saw the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who worketh effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcision also worketh effectively in me toward the Gentiles. Man, I want to know about the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to have this in our spirit. We've got to gain encouragement from what the word of the Lord teaches us. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a chosen generation. Look at him again and say, I'm a chosen generation. Very familiar verse of scripture here at the onset of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of dispersion of Pontus, Galatia, Sepotania, there we go, Asia, and say it for me. Thank you, Bithynia. I say it wrong every time. I listened to it 27 times today, and I said it wrong again. Peter identifies and describes his audience as pilgrims, as aliens, as sojourners. He says that they were scattered abroad. This speaks of two things. Jews that were forced to flee Jerusalem due to the heavy persecution. Therefore, they were not residents of the place where they resided. A reminder, listen to me, a reminder that our residence on earth is temporary. This is not our home, ladies and gentlemen. I can't stress it enough. Young people that are in the room and adults that are in the room, this is not where we are hanging our hats for all eternity. Why do you stress that, Pastor Darren? The reason I stress that is we can't get bogged down living in the here and now. Yes, we are in this world, but we're not of this world. We need to hang our hats in heaven. I'm going to heaven. I'm not here to please you. I'm not here to make you happy or them happy. I'm not here to get along with everybody. What I'm here to do is to make sure that I put a smile on Jesus' face for when he calls us home. He can look at me and you and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You're a good pilgrim. You pilgrims, pilgrims through this land and you didn't set your roots here. You said, there's a place that I'm going. I want to live for all eternity. Look at your neighbor and say, we're just passing through. We're going to do a lot of class participation tonight. We have to remember that our residence on earth is temporary. We are not to set our roots here. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13 says, these all died in faith. Not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed 
that they were strangers and pilgrims on earth. Praise God. This would have been a circular letter intended to be copied and passed along to various different individuals in Asia Minor, the modern-day Turkey. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, Elect according to the foreknowledge. Somebody say the foreknowledge. foreknowledge. The foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of blood. Somebody say sprinkling of blood. Of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. The word elect. It is this in the Greek, eklektios, and it refers to those who are chosen. Peter is writing to the chosen. Somebody say the chosen. The chosen generation, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. I like how this version describes it, his own special people that may proclaim the praise of him who called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are chosen. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, I'm chosen. <laughs> Look at him again. I want, you to, I want you to act like this. I want you to say this. You've got to get this. Look at him and say, you've got to get this. You're different. You're chosen. Praise God. I'm going to have some fun. Ladies and gentlemen, we've got to understand this. We are different. We are a chosen generation. We are a royal priesthood. we got to show that we are that. Oh, somebody say amen. We were chosen according to to God's foreknowledge. This is not referring to predestination, meaning God pre-selected who would be saved and who would be punished. Predestination applies that God's plan, it applies God's plan and not each individual's fate. So God's foreknowledge is God predetermining to know someone by having an intimate, saving relationship so choosing them from eternity's past to receive his redeeming love John 15 and verse 16 says this you did not choose but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever ye ask the Father in my name, he may give it you. Oh, somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. So number one, we're chosen according to God's foreknowledge. Number two, we're chosen according to sanctification of the Spirit. The act of overcoming the power of sin. Please listen to me. Being separated from the world unto God. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm chosen. You're different, ladies and gentlemen. This is through separation 
consecration and holiness. The end of this month, we're going to talk about that. We're going to pray about that. We're going to pray about coming out from the world and being separate. No, it's not a cultish thing. It's a biblical thing. We are 110% or more not a cult. You don't have to, I don't have to act like it's not true. I don't have to try to make it look good for us. It's in the book. And the book teaches us to be separated. The book teaches, not us, everybody. The problem is sometimes we don't eat it. That, that's the bottom line. The bottom line, it's for everybody. It's not United Pentecostal Church. It's not, it's everybody. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from. The Bible teaches that we are to be separated. The Bible teaches that we are to be consecrated. The Bible teaches that we are to be holy for he is holy. Praise God. I encourage you, if you haven't taken deeper life, it starts this Sunday. Brother Jonathan will be teaching upstairs. Don't forget about it. We sent out text. We're going to do it again. Tomorrow, tomorrow's the last day for you to register for that, so please do that or, or sign up for that. So please do that. Somebody say separation. separation. Praise God. We are, we are chosen according to sanctification of the Spirit. This is through separation, consecration, and holiness. We are chosen according to, here it is. I talked about it a moment ago in so many words. It's set before us, but we don't need it. The Bible commands us to eat it. It's our obedience. This is our response to the word of God. The problem is we don't want to respond to the word of God. We have to respond to the word of God. And we have to be obedient to the word of God. This is our response through faith. Put it up for me, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. We have to respond to the word of God. This is done through faith. By grace are ye saved through faith. Not of yourselves. Not of me. It's God that does the saving. It's not anybody in this room. It's God that does the saving. We have to be obedient to the word of the Lord though. The word of the Lord says repent. We got to repent. The word of the Lord says be baptized. We got to be baptized. The word of the Lord also says, come out from among them and be separate. Says the United Pentecostal Church International. The Lord of what? The Lord of hosts tells us that. That we got to be separate. Look at your neighbor and say, you're chosen. You're chosen. Praise God. We're chosen according to the atonement, the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. We have been Purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And Christ's blood was poured out for us. This justified us, meaning it paid the penalty of sin. Aren't you thankful that his blood was shed, that it could pay for the penalty of sin? Because if we were still living, oh man, in that sin, where would we be? But thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood that we might have life and life more abundantly. 
The imagery here is a reference to the Old Testament. There was four events in the Old Testament where the sprinkling of blood took place. I'm going to go through some of them. At the establishment of the covenant between God and the Israelites, the Mosaic Sinai covenant. Exodus chapter 24, starting at verse 5. They'll put it on the screen for us. It says this, Then he sent young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificial peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half the blood and put it in a basin and half the blood and he sprinkled it on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has said we will do and be obedient. Man. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all these words. Blood. Somebody say blood. Blood was always necessary for the completion of a covenant. Always. Children, I understand this is a little deep tonight, but we want to swim in the deep end of the pool sometimes. Sister Amber will help me out next week maybe. Blood was always necessary for the completion of of a covenant. Amen. This signifies the people's commitment and obedience to God. And it shows God's agreement to his people. At the ordination of Aaron and his son in Exodus chapter 29. And ye shall take some of the blood that is on the altar and some of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and on his garments and on his son and on the garments of his sons with him. And he and his garments shall be hallowed, and his sons and his sons and his sons' garments with him. This was when they dedicated the priesthood. They were set apart and were to be holy unto the Lord. All the purification ceremonies for the lepers, for the cleansing of a leopard. Leviticus chapter 14 and verse 6 it talk, six and 7, it talks about that. What they were to do and how they were to sprinkle the blood. How they were to let a bird go into the field. All those things on the day of atonement. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 15 through 16. I encourage you to read it. I'm not going to get into it all right now just because of time. The sprinkling of the blood of Jesus on us accomplishes the same exact thing. A covenant was formed. We are ordained as priests to him. Somebody say it, a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We are cleansed from the stain and penalty of sin. Aren't you thankful for that? Each of these is ours through the work of the cross because of the precious blood of Jesus. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, ma'am, where would you be? Sir, where would you be? Look at your neighbor and say, you're a chosen generation. As Peter moves on, he begins to talk about our salvation. The certainty, the assurance of our salvation. This is considered 
a short hymn of praise that Peter shared with the believers. He gives us three things that can make us certain about our salvation. It's preserved by the power of God. If you have your Bibles, they can put it on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, somebody say mercy, mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away. I love the descriptions, ladies and gentlemen. Reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith. Somebody say faith. faith. Through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Because of our abundant, because of his abundant mercy, we, oh, you and I get something that we do not deserve. A lot of times, we consider mercy and grace the same thing, but they are different. Mercy deals with an individual's miserable condition. Grace deals with the guilt that caused that condition. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell where the flame dies not. That's what we deserve. Oh, man. But mercy... Aren't you thankful for mercy? Grace deals with the guilt that caused that condition. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. We don't deserve forgiveness. We don't deserve a relationship with the spotless lamb. We don't deserve the promise of heaven. I feel the Holy Ghost right now in this room. I don't know who you are. No, you don't deserve it. You and I do not deserve it, but he promises you heaven. There's one thing that you got to do. Ask him to forgive you. There's one thing you have to do. you got to be obedient to his word. Not some of it, not what you choose to be obedient to, but you got to be obedient to all of his word. These are opposing sides of the same coin, and that coin represents the love of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich, who's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace ye have been saved. Oh, man, clap your hands unto the Lord. Help yourself out again and look at your neighbor and say, you're a chosen generation. You're going to get tired of it tonight, but that's all right. No other attribute, no other attribute could have helped us had mercy been refused. As we are by nature, just condemns us. Justice condemns us. Holiness frowns upon us. Power crushes us. Truth confirms us. The threatening of the law and wrath fulfills it 
It is from the mercy of our God that all our hopes began. Charles Spurgeon penned those words. Next, Peter says, has begotten us, has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Jesus told Nicodemus the way to be born again. Jesus answered and said unto him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Amen. Nicodemus, listen, very, I'm reading in the New King James Version, but I want us to listen to it. Some may need this little more explanation. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I've got to go down in water. There's only one way in the Bible to be baptized, and that's by immersion. To be put all the way under and brought back up again. I got to be born of the Spirit. The Bible describes what that is. You're going to talk in an unknown tongue as the Spirit of God gives you the utterance. Now, I'm going to say something here. It's going to be a little pastoring in the midst of this. I can't teach you how to talk in tongues. Contrary to what I've heard in this altar sometimes, hey, it's going to sound something like this. And somebody jibber jabbers. In, no, that's not how it is. You can't be taught. You can't be, it can't be explained to you that this is how you need to articulate your words. It is a heavenly language. And the Spirit of God, as Bishop just described to you, gives the utterance. It is not fake. It is not phony. You can watch it on YouTube and people can make fun of it all they want to. But if you decide to repent and seek the face of God, God will fill you with his spirit. Amen. I'm not pulling any punches about it. It's real. And I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just, if you don't believe it and you don't want to believe it, that's up to you. I'm not going to make you believe it. But it's real. I've been here a lot. I've seen it. I've heard people... I've heard people act like they were talking in tongues. I've been around it. I've seen friends when I was at youth camp. Bishop, when he was a security guard at youth camp, kids were acting like it. It turned into the real thing. And people got the Holy Ghost all over the place because there were some people that had faith and believe. There were some people that really wanted to seek the face of God when other people were acting crazy and being funny. And the people that really wanted to seek the face of God got full of the Holy Ghost. You can ask him about that story later. It really did happen. Middle of choir practice. Kids were practicing and somebody decided to go run and shout and jump and act like they were getting a touch from Jesus. And in their funny business, there were people that really started touching Jesus. And God filled them with the Holy Ghost. And there were people that were added to the church on that day. Amen. So it matters if you want to be obedient or not. It matters if you want to take the word of God for what it's worth. Praise the Lord. Now back to our scheduled programming here. For this we have, 
an incorruptible, undefiled inheritance that does not fade away. Under the old covenant, each tribe, each tribe was allotted an inheritance of land. The Jews would have understood this. It was to be their possession from God. Under the new covenant, under the new covenant, fellow believers have an inheritance. It's not earthly. It's not an earthly one like the Israelites had, but it's an eternal one. He uses three things to describe what it is not. I had you repeat those a little bit ago. It is incorruptible, not subject to death or destruction. It is undefiled. It is flawless and perfect, not stained by sin. It won't fade away. It won't lose its magnificence. It's not like an object that eventually wears down. And he said this inheritance is reserved in heaven for you and me. And ladies and gentlemen, I can't wait to get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, who are kept by the power of God. Kept. Look at your neighbor say kept. Kept is a military term. Descripting a protection by a shield. It is a protection by a shield. God's power is the garrison, if you will, in which we find our security. But again, it's only activated by faith. What we pray over our children, as was prayed for me when I was a kid, Lord, put a hedge about my children. God, put a hedge about their mind. God, cover their eyes from the things of this world. Cover their ears from the things of, oh, you're, you're trying to protect them too much. So, man, you can't do that. Oh, I am trying to protect them. You're exactly right. I'm trying my best to put the blinders on them. I'm trying my best, as Brother Jordan so aptly put in his message on Sunday, I'm trying to get them an appetite for the Word of God and not the things of the world. Praise God. I'll clap my hands on that one. And why am I doing that? God's power is a garrison in which we find our security. If I don't put it in them that God's hedge of protection and his love and his garrison is around them, then when all hell breaks loose and things come, are trying to come into their life, if they don't believe what the word of God says about that, then they're not going to have faith and that garrison isn't going to surround them. That faith is not going to be strong enough for where it needs to be for that protection to be there. And don't tell me it's not real because there's been people, as you know as well as I do, and you've heard it, and, and all you have to do is believe it or not believe it. I choose to believe it, but 
You've heard people, they've been in the midst of about a horrible car wreck, but what did they do? They cried Jesus and something began to happen. Probably some people in this room have been in situations like that. You called, I know Sister Delene has, called on the name of Jesus when the car was flipping and turning and all hell broke loose in that car, but here she sits today and her family sits here today and they're saved by the grace of God and the power of God and the garrison of God. Romans 1, and I'm closing. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a chosen generation. We are a chosen generation, and I'll let you just see it because I'm, I'm going to save your time and I'm not going to go over too much, but I'm already in the red right now. But next week, we're going to talk about the second thing that can make us certain about our salvation. We are a chosen generation, and I would to God over these next few weeks that we can grab a hold of, I'm a chosen generation. I'm different. I'm not like everybody else. I am not the denominal church. I'm an apostolic. I'm Holy Ghost field. I'm set apart. I'm different. That doesn't mean that you're better than anyone. Don't have the attitude that you're better than everyone. We can't have that because we'll become like everybody else. We will be a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. We will be nothing. But we need to understand that we're a chosen generation. We need to understand that we're a royal priesthood. We need to understand that we must be zealous. We must be excited about the things of God, especially in this last and closing hour. Praise God. Would you stand to your feet all across the building? Jesus, I'm asking right now that you would put a hunger in us. Put a hunger in each and every one of us, Lord, as we begin to study through 1 Peter. Lord, I'm asking right now, Lord, that you would Put a heartbeat in every man and every lady, Lord, to begin to read through 1 Peter over these next few weeks. Lord, let them study it to show themselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth. God, let their heartbeat be, I've got to know you. I've got to understand why this letter was written to me. I am a chosen generation. I am a royal priesthood. I am in the midst of issues and problems and turmoil and the issues of life, Lord. I'm going to stand firm knowing that you're my God. You're going to keep me in the midst of whatever trial and whatever situation that I'm going through. My eyes are on heaven. Come hail, come high water, come whatever the issue is in this life. Lord, my hope is in you. In the name of Jesus, Lord, and I pray this specifically. I feel it in the Holy Ghost right now. Let every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, not trust in chariots. Don't trust in people around them. Don't trust in husbands. Don't trust in wives. Don't don't trust in pastors. Don't trust in friends. Don't trust in moms and dads. But God, let us put our trust completely and solely upon you. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm praying specifically for a revival in this group of people that are in this room right now, Lord, for them to have a trust in you and you alone. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And everybody say amen. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Please greet one another. Please give them time to get finished upstairs. I believe I've given them as much time as they need. But God bless you. We'll see you on Sunday. Come ready to worship the Lord together on the first Sunday of 2024.